Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit www.thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters, John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Bossles, Ryan Charlton, The Paper Mill Micropub, Doug Thayer and Sarah Allmark. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Peter and Father Matthias from Mount St. Bernard Abbey. Mount St. Bernard Abbey is a Roman Catholic Trappist monastery near Colville in Leicestershire, founded in 1835. The Abbey was the first permanent monastery to be founded in England since the Reformation, and it's the sole Trappist house in England. Starting in 2018, the monks began to brew the only Trappist beer in England, known as Tint Meadow. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves and tell us about your journey which led you to launching Tint Meadow. I'm Father Matthäus. I'm the monk of this monastery. Of course, as a monk, my main job is prayer, but as a work, my main work here is uh, brewing. I am the brewer here. Excellent. Thank you. My name is Peter Grady, and I am essentially the brewery manager here. So I've been working here since October of last year, and I essentially do everything that the monks need help with or that they can't do themselves excellent well welcome gentlemen so perhaps father Matthias, you could give us just a little background to how the brewery was established at the monastery and what drove you to make that decision so before our brewery as you said was launched in 2018 before we had a cow farm and we milk cows mm-hmm. and make some butter, sell the milk, but it was less and less profitable. And so to have our living, we had to change the source of income. Right. There was many other propositions like ice creams or something. But as a trappist, we have a very good background for making a beer. Yes. Uh, Part of our tradition. So we decided to, to try brewing. First, we just visit others, our monastery with the breweries, yeah. so mainly in Poland, and ask for advice and help. I think all procedure to prepare brewery takes five years. Wow. So mm-hmm. that was, uh, it wasn't a, just a quick decision. And that was the long discernment. We asked for help constant. So he, this is a, a- brewery consultant from the Netherlands. I was actually watched the, the BBC documentary that talks about the yes. process, uh, which is called The Brotherhood, which I would recommend everybody to, to have a look at if they're interested in the background. So this really nicely photographed and presented background to the monastery and the process of establishing the brewery. Um, but obviously, you have a tradition to try and follow with Trappist beers. And so it was important to bring in a consultant that has knowledge of those products that, that, that are being produced in, as you say, mainly in Belgium and the Netherlands, so that your Trappist beer could fit into that heritage, but also, of course, have an English slant to it with English ingredients? 
Exactly. That was our aim. We want to combine the, our Trappist tradition, main the continental Dutch tradition of brewing, uh, so dark, strong, mm-hmm. but also to combine it with the English ale brewing tradition. So we used English ingredients and we tried to make this two tradition of brewing. And there were a lot of iterations before what eventually would become Tim Meadow. There was a lot of trial and error. Yes, yeah, yeah. When Constant tried a new recipe, he bring the beer to the community and then all brothers said, oh, for me it's too sweet, for me it's too strong, for me it's too <laughs> So there was many attempts before, and voila, we've got what we have. So I should define community as you, you're talking about the the monks, basically. These are the the, uh, the the residents of the monastery, yeah. Because community, we would typically yeah. think of as being a broader set of people than that in in English. But no, that's great. So how big is the community at Mount Saint Bernard today? Now we are seventeen. Seventeen. Mm-hmm. Twenty eight to 95 or 6. And so how many of those people are involved in the brewery activities, whether it be brewing or bottling or boxing? I don't know. uh, How how many people would you say are actually involved in the brewery itself? From the community, it's just two of us mainly. But also uh, when, for example, we box our gift packs, that's all done by the community. Um, And that's something that the abbot, Father Joseph, has said to me, that's important to him. So if there's yeah. anything that we can see in the brewery that the wider community are able to help with, engage with, then definitely that's something that they're keen for. So when we brought these gift packs out, they come as the flat boxes. And, and then we have mornings where everyone who's able from the community will come down and have at it and then do a few hours of boxing them up. And, and nice. I think people really enjoy that, you know, to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... The brothers, the community feel that it is our brewery. Perhaps the most important thing is the tasting as well. <laughs> so, yeah, the community are definitely involved in that. Good. I should hope they are, yes. And so does the recipe vary at all? Or now that you've perfected it from your perspective, do you do everything you can to try and make sure it stays constant? This is, I think this is the main task for me now, to keep constancy of taste so it, it could be challenge you know because it's a, just a living raw materials uh, yeah, absolutely here, like, the grains can be slightly different uh, the hops try to make always the same beer it's a challenge definitely anytime you're dealing with natural ingredients there's going to be some variation from one harvest to, to another and i think previously we've had issues as well with because we're such a small brewery um secure a supply of a certain kind of hops for example mm-hmm. and then perhaps we're not the priority to have that at one point so you know there's a lot of uh, thinking around the problem a lot of working around issues like that that can come up um and that's definitely something that we have to do we have to deal with regularly and it's a small family isn't it it's there's just i think looking at again from wikipedia which perhaps isn't always completely accurate with these things but i think there's only 11 monasteries currently brewing is that right there was one i think that's that closed last year wasn't it in in was it in holland or belgium yeah um arkel um, yeah that's the one i was thinking of yeah yeah absolutely which uh, is in belgium mm-hmm. they were essentially they were being helped by the monks at uh, vestmana 
mm-hmm. uh, and but the uh, the last two brothers uh, uncle have moved and joined the community at first one as I understand so there's no com- community left there right at Arkle. Um, the brewing will continue but if it's not under the supervision of brothers within that monastery because there was a bit of a debate about this because Vesmala themselves did offer to take it on right. uh, the tra- to protect the authenticity of Trappist products, uh, which, you know, is a big deal. Definitely, um, yeah. They've decided it's to have it over to a private company, so they'll continue brewing it. As I understand the same recipe, but it won't be an authentic Trappist product. No, that's unfortunate. Yeah. As far as I understand it, Peter, your production output is very small compared to most of the uh, the bigger names that people will be familiar with from Holland and Belgium. I, I read 2,000 hectolitres per year. Is that accurate? Okay. Or? Um, no. <laughs> okay. So what I'd is your production output? If ideally, 1,500. Okay. Um, and that means, so last year, we didn't get near that, obviously, because of, hmm. you know, here it was. Yeah. But if we do the rhythm, the routine that we want to do, that we can achieve, then yep. it would be dealing of 1500 hectoliters yeah right yeah. And, and how many batches does that represent 25 batches yeah okay yeah 50 brews two brews make one batch yeah. right yeah makes sense right. so you double you double brew into each batch yeah well under the small brewer's relief <laughs> yes well at least that's something isn't it yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that at least i would assume you've got charity status don't you anyway oh. does that give you some sort of relief from the Duties? I don't know. Perhaps I'm, I'm straying off of my area of knowledge, but I would hope I would no. hope that you would have some sort of charity relief. But I don't know. There are certain tax benefits, but when it comes to the actual beer duty, no, we pay beer okay. duty as standard. Yeah, absolutely. It's very harsh. I think I should let you off. But even still, according to Wikipedia again, and I apologise for quoting it so many times already in this conversation, but Koningsherben in the Netherlands is 145,000 hectolitres per year, so roughly... 100x what you're doing shimei 123,000 and vesmala 120,000 so so those are vastly larger operations than, than yours and obviously those are all very big businesses with global distribution i guess in, in some cases um we have this in mind that combine brewery working with our monastic life mm-hmm. because when you go to Netherlands, you see the big, big brewery, which is just a manufacturer next to monastery with a lot of lay people. Hmm. So at the beginning, we start all work by ourselves, but we have some reduces in personnel. <laughs> Let me see. We decide to find a help and we employ Peter. Here's Peter. Very good move. Yeah. And we have volunteers. But we don't want to have a big brewery just living by its own. We just want to be, the brewery is part of monastery and part of monastery work. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's key as well. It's something that we're definitely encountering lately as we expanded recently in terms of our sales. We're now hitting our limit in terms of what we produce, we can sell. Um, right. So we are a charity. We're not a business as such. Mm. So it's about working with our distributors and our partners in the trades so that they understand that. And, and they do. They're very good yeah. with that. But we just obviously keep them informed. It's not always a case of, well, we can sell more tin meadow, so provide us with more tin meadow. No. Because it's now got to the point where it's said, well, this is the tin meadow we can produce. And 
with our distributors, with our partners, this is when you can have it. And they sell what they can. You know, we're lucky to be in that position. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a nice position for any business to be in is to have certainty that everything you produce is, if not already sold, already spoken for. That's very good news. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think part of that is we owe that to the, tra- the big Trappist breweries in Belgium, in the Netherlands, because um, we can be marketed alongside those. Um, but then also we've got a lot of support, not just in this country, but internationally, people who are very keen to buy Tim Meadow regularly, not just nice. to try it, you know. And do you find that the bottle shops that specialise in the Benelux Trappist beers will often stock yours alongside them, I guess, for completeness and to offer that variety? Yeah, absolutely. This is a question we've had when we've engaged with, or rather distributors engaged with supermarkets previously, and they questioned where do we stack it in the shelves? Does it sit with the Belgian? Um, does it sit with the Vesmars and the Chimais, like you've mentioned, that are sold in supermarkets? Or does it sit with traditional English ales? Just in between the two, you need a special category, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got a very exciting vertical tasting set up this evening. And so I think we should start to taste and talk about the beer rather than the brewery. We've got two batches of Tint Meadow. The first is batch TM27, and the second is batch TM64. So can you tell us when roughly each of those were brewed, just rather than me guess? I can tell you exactly. Perfect. Um, So TM27, so this was bottled on the 24th of July 2019. And then so it means it was brewed about two months before that, more or less. Right. Yep. And then TM64, that's the most recent to come out of our secondary fermentation. So this is the most recent batch we have that's finished and ready for sale. And this was bottled on the 25th of May this year, so right. 2021. We put a two-year best before on the beers, obviously as an industry standard. They require us to put a best before on, but I mean, I drank ones that are older than two years and there's nothing wrong with that no <laughs> perfect but i thought if we drink one that's obviously most recent one that's sort of two years ago you're going to get the differences some of them quite obvious and others more subtle maybe. right well let me read the tasting notes first and then we can we can get into talking about specifically the taste so i have tint meadow 7.4 percent strong english ale and the tasting notes that I've managed to find on Untapped, actually. So being part of the great Trappist tradition, we've chosen to produce a strong, dark ale, but one with a clearly English character. Tint Meadow is a mahogany-coloured, or is mahogany-coloured, with a subtle, warm red hue and a lasting beige head. Its aroma carries hints of dark chocolate, licorice, and rich fruit flavours. The beer is full-bodied, gently balancing the taste of dark chocolate, pepper, and fig and it leaves a warm and dry finish on the palate. Really nice tasting notes. Certainly the older one is much smoother. I think that would be my initial comment, is, is as you would almost certainly expect, that the flavours have become less pronounced, but deeper in some ways. And so, so I think it tends to, I think, work as a really nice ensemble, the, the older one. I think dark chocolate is the key flavour that I'm getting from both of them. But the older one, I think the warmth of the malt is really there. And I definitely much prefer the older one to the new one. They're both lovely. But I think if I was given the choice, I would take the older one. And I guess you would expect to say that, wouldn't you? It's this type of beer, I'm sure, would mature up to four or five, even 10 years. Although I know you can't put a 10-year <laughs> best before on the label. But I don't see why this beer wouldn't last almost indefinitely in, in the bottle and probably get better and smoother and deeper as the time went on. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, one of the most frequent comments I see sort of online when people do these tastings on Instagram, Facebook, that sort of thing, is, is about the chocolate. Mm. Whatever batch they're tasting, you know, however old it is, they seem to almost yeah. always mention the chocolate. Well, I think the, the bitterness of the hops comes through in a much more pronounced way in the new beer. Which again, you would expect, I think hops inevitably, whether it's bitterness or fruit flavours or aromas all tend to fade a bit over time. And so I don't think that's a bad thing with this beer at all. But I think with the newer beer, it has a much more of a sort of a hoppy, bitter character to it than the, uh, the, than the mature beer. It's sharper, I think, than hmm. the latest. Yeah, the yeah. Beer. Yeah. And the old one is maybe not so vivid in taste, but well balanced. The, the yes. longer the longer is in the bottle the, the balance uh, between ingredients is more complete yeah it's more nuanced isn't it mm-hmm. like a new one every ingredient want to show himself and yes crying i am here <laughs> and you on, on your tongue but uh, later on it's just a smooth and quiet i think one of the things that comes out when we do the tastings with the community is that some people prefer the new one oh. yeah they you know People want to taste that. And I, th- I think one of the key things that always comes up is that there's differences between we'll sit and we'll taste four different batches, but you can always tell it's to the better, you know? Right. It's, there's differences, there's subtle differences, or sometimes more pronounced differences between the different batches, but you always know you're drinking to the better. Nice. I think that's obviously what we I think that in a whole day, you will prefer uh, the young beer. When you want just some sprinkly taste, refreshing. So I think that the youngest beer, because the hops, as you said, the hops are more vivid and sharp. Yeah. And then maybe for the hot summer days, although it's a strong beer, so not too much on the summer days, <laughs> uh, the young beer would be better. But as, a, as a, to have a nice glass of beer in the evening just to enjoy, I would. Yeah, and I agree. One of the things, obviously, that comes up regularly is it's it's not a session beer. You wouldn't sit at four or five of these, and obviously we wouldn't encourage you to do that. But we do have some regular customers who will drink three or four a week on different different sittings and regularly, and always find something different, always enjoy it, knowing it's the same beer but in a different way almost. Right. And uh, I think that's wonderful. And, And I always get told when I'm talking to people in the trade, distributors and that sort of thing, they say, well, this is a winter beer. This is, you know, this is for the winter. But the sales don't reflect that. No. Um, so I, I wouldn't agree with that necessarily. I think perhaps that's a, a traditional pigeonholing. I was going to say that exact thing, Peter. I think traditionally, yes, dark beers associated with sitting by the fire in a pub, but it doesn't have to be at all. And the amount of particularly uh, imperial stouts that are being drunk these days all year round uh, obviously strong dark ales as well but i think dark beers are now definitely 12 month beers and everybody is not being constrained by when you should drink a particular beer people will choose what they like and choose when to drink it which is great yeah so you mentioned that you have beers available for for the monks for the community how often would they have a tint meadow other than you know when you're asking them to taste batches are they you know w- would they reach one often or is it a you know just at a special occasion uh we have it on sundays or, or peace days so you would have it at the table yeah uh, during the lunchtime 
on Sundays or feast days. I think that brings us to a key point as well about the Cistercians say beer should be liquid bread. Yeah, mm. or the bread. Yeah, and I think that. And you can really taste the the, the malts here, the grains. Mm. So it's, it's definitely this beer has tremendous depth of flavour, and I'm sure the malt is providing a very high percentage of that. It's 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 beautifully rich and complex. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a great beer. So you, you, yourself, Father Matthias, did you have any familiarity with beer and brewing before you joined the monastery? Had you had you worked in the industry or? I have some familiarity with beers, but not with uh, brewing. Okay, <laughs> from the other side of the uh, of the county. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of the process, the, 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 the last step of the process. Yeah. The, the challenge was at some point we we were in need to have a second brewer, change in personnel and. Just Abbott came to me and asked, uh, do you want to be a brewer? I said, oh, it's a nice challenge. Yeah. And then I just go quickly to, to our monastery in Netherlands, to Zunder, mm-hmm. and just have one session of brewing there. And then a few sessions with someone who taught me here. Mm-hmm. And then I start brewing. Excellent. Really exciting. You're close to nature. You just use the very simple ingredients, grains, yeast, water, hops. Yep. At the end, you've got such a perfect drink. Absolutely. Please keep listening for more after a short message from our sponsors. This Week in Craft Beer is sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Them That Can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com Do you get any beer from outside of the monastery to drink uh, as an alternative to Tint Meadow if somebody wants to drink something a little lighter in the community? I think in the past there's been yeah. some of the other traffic spaces. Before we launch our brew, we have a few times a year on the special feast days some beer from outside. But when we start brew ourselves, <laughs> only Tint Meadow. Yeah, right. there's plenty of it to go around. Yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> I read on your website that you have a shop that sells beer as well as other products. Uh, is that open now, but sort of post-COVID, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got the Abbey gift shop here, and that's open Monday to Saturday, 10 till 4.30. And we sell, obviously, Tim Meadow, and we sell the gift packs. We sell Father Joseph's own recipe, beer bread, nice. um, you know, to make yourself. That's very popular. Mm. Uh, and then there's other monastic products. But, you know, we sell honey. And mm. um, we sell put from uh, Coldy Abbey, quite famous oh, for it. Pottery, Brother Martin is a potter. Nice. Tim also. So that they're unique pieces in the shop. And uh, yeah, that's uh, Brother Martin. And then we have another helper as well. And they, they run the shop. And that's always very busy. We do very well. And we people always ask, will you have Tim Meadow in the shop? And the answer is always yes. We'll, if there's no Tim Meadow anywhere in the world, there'll be Tim Meadow in the shop. That'll be the last place that gets sold out, yeah. Very good. And, and will, you, will you often have a, a range of batches or just perhaps just mainly the latest one? No, we'll have a range. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it really varies, but 
we tend to, when we're bottling, we'll take one pallet, for example, from each batch and save that for our shop. But right. although saying lately, it's probably been twice that, which is really good. Since we've reopened, that's been fantastic. Um, and then we do sell uh, throughout the UK. We work right. with James Clay to distribute. And, and then we, uh, yeah, we deliver locally for locals with 15 miles free of charge. And nice. I suppose from my own point of view, since I've come here, one of the key things for me and certainly one of the remits that I've had is, is to make sure that it is obviously available locally in local shops, in, in the bottle shops, in bars and pubs right. and things, but also that people locally are aware of it. And we've had a lot of this since the documentary was on the BBC, right. where people said, well, they've come to the Abbey or they've emailed us, and they've said, well, I had no idea you were here, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but we're sending it across the world, you know? We're yeah. sending it to Taiwan, Chile. And yet people who live two minutes on the road are saying, well, I didn't know you were here. I didn't know I could get this here. Um, so that's <laughs> yeah. better for everyone involved if, if we can sell it locally. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's been a very uh, field make a good job. We were very busy after that. Yeah, I think on a typical day, I might have something like 20 or 30 emails. And the day after the documentary aired, I think I had 600. So, oh, my goodness. Uh, that was wow. quite busy. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, you get everyone from the Highlands and Islands and, and far and wide saying, well, well, you cannot send me some, you cannot send me some. So we did our best. And, and, I, and uh, I did uh, drive the length and breadth of England for a few weeks, dropping off bits and pieces. And, and uh, But I think a lot of our distribution has caught up with that now so that we are selling, you know, from Cornwall up to the Highlands. And with our production volume, it, volume it's it's not going to be everywhere. That's just the no. idea. It's most of all, we want to be present locally. That's yes. our, yeah. our priority. And because our monastery is just in the middle of fields, so some people just do not know that something like that exists in the neighborhood. And this film makes a good job here, and we became more popular locally. And that, yeah. that, that's very good. Yeah, absolutely. We've got people, when I drive in in the morning, because I don't live here like the rest of the employees. Right. I see the same people every day walking their dog. And that's great because it, it is a big part of the local community. You know, there's a big car park here. There's walks that start all over, go in all directions that nice. start from here. At the moment, the church is closed and the guest house is also closed, obviously right. pending when the sort of restrictions lifted. And I mean, it's been as close as long as I've been working here, but from what I understand, it was always full when it was open. So, And how big is the guest house as a matter of interest? I think we, we can accommodate 25 people. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hospitality is uh, the part of monastic tradition, so every monastery has a guest house. And that operates on donations. Right. Only. You know, you, rate, you know, you can stay there for nothing. You know? mm. It's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I've certainly um, been a beneficiary of uh, monastic hospitality myself. I mean, I've stayed at different monasteries myself. In my, in my life, and I've, I've always very much enjoyed it. Always had something, taken something from it. Yeah. And people who come here who aren't religious, you know, necessarily, but they still get a lot from it. Just a beautiful, relaxing experience, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're lucky to have very well maintained gardens. Yes. You know, we, we have a gardener and that, so you know, come get some beer at the shop and have a stroll, enjoy the uh, the wildlife and the, and the wildflowers. Yeah. Sounds perfect. I've got a couple of questions that I ask every week on this podcast that I'd like to ask you guys as well. The first one can be quite tricky for people to answer, but let's try it and see. 
And that one is what makes you different? And I guess I'm thinking of as a Trappist brewery. So what differentiates you from Vesmala and Chimay and the others? That would be my suggestion as to how you answer that question. But really, I'm happy for you to take it in any direction. What, what makes you different? I would say we're part of the International Association of Trappist Monasteries. And we've got the ATP, the Authentic Trappist Product Label, and we get a lot of help and support from them. And we deal with them regularly. We have monthly meetings and catch-ups and that sort of thing. Right. Um, but I would say that and there's a few Trappist monasteries uh, in this category. But we're definitely on the, as you mentioned yourself, on the smaller end of that. Right. So I think really what, and this isn't to say anything against those bigger guys, mm-hmm. but because of that size, what we're able to do here is, I guess, myself excluded because I'm not part of the community, but the vast majority of work is undertaken by the community. Right. Father Mateus does the brewing, Brother Tim, Brother Robert, Father Joseph is also involved, different points of it. The community are handling your beer from brewing to bottle, not exclusively, but majority. And I think that makes us quite special. A lot of these biggest places, because of need and because of demand, it's overseen by the brothers. Um, but here we're, we're able to obviously engage with it on a sort of personal basis. Uh, yeah. I think that's really, you know, a unique element. And hopefully that can continue. Nice. My reaction to that is I think you're really in the tradition of the Trappist brewery as opposed to a modern commercial interpretation of a Trappist brewery, which without being disrespectful to the larger ones, they have to be that, don't they? You've still got the, the brothers and the monks doing the work for the most part. And that, I think, gives it a special sense of place, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, obviously, when I've talked about the ATP label, you know, there are specific conditions for that. So the work has to be overseen by the community. Right. It has to, for the benefit of the community, so the profit, if you will, that we make towards the maintenance of the community and the monastery, and then any excess goes to charity. There's there's no profit, essentially. Um, It's all for good deeds. Yes, you say something on account of these big breweries, because they are big, they got big incomes. But as as Peter says, it's uh, just maintaining the places which quite often are very large buildings. But what is more than what is needed, it goes for the charity. So it's, I think this is the, the Trappist ethos of brewing. So it's not money, money, money. Oh, that's so good I think, so because they are biggest and they yeah. have bigger incomes, they can help more than we. So they supply, for example, few communities of our order somewhere in Africa or somewhere else. But it's nice. I think people... Yeah perhaps don't realise that, that when they're buying a Trappist beer, even if it's a Westmala or a Shimei, a percentage of that purchase price is profit, which is going to charitable causes. So that's a nice thing that, you know, I think oh, yeah, perhaps, perhaps should be more broadly publicised. So I'm glad to be able to do that this evening. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, Shimei and Westmala, they do a lot of good work in the community. Yeah, know, I'm sure they do, yeah. Brilliant. So yeah, that's definitely a key point. And I, I know... Um, talk about uh, best later which you know is often remarked as the best beer in the world mm-hmm. and you know people wait months to get a case yeah uh, you know they have a, a queue of cars that come you come at a time and date 
and they just you open your boot. You think you can have one case of each variety, mm-hmm. but people wait months, months in advance. You have to at the moment. You have to be from Belgium as well. Right. But uh, when they needed to put a new roof on their monastery, they did an extra run and sold it all. <laughs> so it's a nice position for them to be in. It really it? is, yeah. But I guess bring, bringing it back to, to Mount St. Bernard, you have placed your monastery on a much sounder financial footing now than I'm sure it was before, now that the brewery is up and running and, and operating successfully. So you've really accomplished what you set out to do in the first place. Of course, it was the big investment. The first years was just to recoup. <laughs> but yeah, we had a great benefactor, a good friend uh, of one of our brothers. I think he's also on this documentary. Yes, he is, the New Zealand uh, gentleman, yeah. yeah. I think without him, it would, it would be impossible. As you'll see in the documentary, there's been no spare. Everything is top of the range, really nice you know, equipment. Right. Um, so... Not to say we don't have expenses and, and things like a normal brewery would do, but it's uh, it certainly wasn't done on the cheap. No. And it, it's also just a fantastic place to work um, because when you walk up to it, even though there was a brewery in it, okay. <laughs> quite often get drivers who'll come up and they'll say, I'm looking for the uh, brewery. And say, brew here. Uh, at the uh, end of 19th century, was built for the community about 30 people. And that's how it starts. But then in mid of 20th century, the community has about 100 persons. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they made many extensions. Uh, and then in the 60s. And now we are come back to this original number of months. We are almost 20. Yeah. So we had some empty spaces. And that was very good that we we managed to set brewery inside our buildings. Right. The brewery itself, where we are now, that was our old laundry. Our bottling room was the kitchen. Our storage room was the old refectory. Right. Uh, so everything is in. That's nice. Yeah. And we've adapted the unused farm buildings into storage as well. Yes. Right. We're not short on space. One of the other questions I like to ask is to invite my podcast guests to promote another local business. And usually I ask people to promote another beer business, but that might not be relevant or appropriate for you. So I'm happy to extend that question to say, is there another local business that you think is just doing a great job supplying the local, not just the community of monks, but more broadly that you'd like to recommend people check out when they're coming to your brewery shop i think we have a good connection with the charmwood brewery yes charmwood brewery and they've been immensely helpful yeah they they were very keen to help us at the beginning especially and so it's a good cooperation they have some small bar just next to the yeah so our beers and also that was very good cooperation from the beginning so perfect well thank you for that recommendation i'll put a note to them in the show notes for the podcast so people can check them out and hopefully go and visit their tap room brilliant so i have one wrap-up question that i do every week and i'll be interesting to see what interpretation you make of this but i ask people to tell me what would be their ultimate happy hour where would they be who would they be with and what would they be drinking 
And I'd like you each to answer <laughs> that question, if you don't mind. <laughs> Who'd like to go first? Well, I, I was just saying to you before the call, Rob, that I, I've recently had COVID, so I've, mm -hmm. I've just regained my taste and, and smell. But uh, one of the um, things I, I miss because it was good weather, unfortunately, while I had it as well, was I, uh, I enjoy sitting in my back garden and drinking uh, any number of craft beers with a cigar. If you put me um, anywhere warm with some barbecue food, <laughs> I lived in America for a while, some barbecue food, some fantastic craft beer and a cigar, I'll be happy, whatever the company. Okay. I can't press you on a particular beer or style of beer, at least. Um, good question. I suppose I would actually, somewhat controversially, the past year I've been quite into sour beers. Okay. Um, I know is obviously quite a bit different. Not some more of the more extreme ones that we that we see. I do enjoy any sort of the, of the grapefruit varieties and things like that. But also I drink a lot of uh, Trappist beers. Okay. As you would imagine, my number one pick, obviously, other than Meadow, would be uh, Orval. I love an Orval. Right, yeah. Lovely. It's a easy drinking beer. Brilliant. So, Father Matthias, what would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be? Who would you be with? And what would you be drinking? Uh, you know, I am a monk over 20 years. And I really enjoy to be in the monastery, in an enclosure. And it's... Uh, uh, difficult for me now to imagine to be somewhere else so it could be a different monastery you could, i was just going to say that <laughs> is there another monastery that you visited that you'd like to visit again perhaps yeah i like very much mountains so it could be somewhere in the mountains oh for example last year or two years ago i was in Pradmil in italy in piedmont mountains mm -hmm. oh that was very nice uh with sign shining with some good friends of mine. <laughs> what, what would be, uh, if not Tint Meadow, what would be your preferred Trappist beer then? I don't drink much of them, but I remember I, I like Shimei. I like Shimei, mm -hmm. blue, and Vestletter as well. And I like Zundert. Perfect. Something like that. I've got one more question, actually, which is, what do you think the future holds for Mount St. Bernard and Tint Meadow? Uh... Maybe another beer, but now we are happy with Tint Meadow, but maybe that is something which is on the horizon. Okay. I think for me, this is a question I get asked a lot by people saying, when you do a different beer? And I think since I came in last year with a lot of different ideas and a lot of energy, and you know that was well received, but I think that I have also come to terms with uh, and it's been a nice sort of coming to terms, <laughs> but uh, a, a different pace of life. So right. interesting earlier when Father Mateusz was saying about it took five years to about the discernment to start the brewery. Yes. And I think that sums it up. So I think in terms of another beer in that, it would be a few years from discerning that was the right thing to do to actually it occurring because it's, uh, whilst we, we enjoy working in the brewery and, and I mean I certainly enjoy it it's been the best job I've ever had nice. but um, it's not the be all and end all it's not the key element here at the monastery and that's something no. that you have to come to understand um, so it's very much secondary to the prayer that goes that's the key element and once you understand that then I think you get more of a flavour more of a, an idea of things 
but I, you know, I deal with people on a fairly regular basis who want things now, 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 like a business. Yeah, and unfortunately. Pay, yeah. That's not the way it works, you know. A lot of things I have to run by the abbot and they say, well, will you get back to me later today? And I say, well, I might get back to you later next week. You know, that's just, that's just the way it is. And, and it's quite nice for me in a way <laughs> to be able to say that, actually. You've just got to adjust uh, to that pace of life, haven't you? And once, once you have done, I'm sure it's much preferable to the chaos that most of us deal with day to day. <laughs> yeah, I've come from a professional background in my sort of earlier career. I think one night I was here packaging Father Matteo saw me and said, oh, it's too late, you should go home. And I think that's exactly the opposite of what would have happened when I was uh, working for a big four accountancy firm. Definitely. They would have said, oh, you're here late? That's good, stay late. Yeah. <laughs> Coming early tomorrow as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed chatting with you this evening. It's been really enjoyable to dig into a, a different pace of life and a different approach to craft beer, but one that I think is going to continue to be really successful. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how things develop in the next few years. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations for 2021 will include Copenhagen, New England, Brooklyn and Miami. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website as we make new announcements each week throughout April and May.